And thank you all for being here with us in worship, in person, and online. We're so grateful to have you with us. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we are in a series called Jesus Begins. You can see some information about this series in the back of your bulletin. And as the name of this series suggests, this is about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Really before his first sermon, before he starts performing miracles, getting an idea of who this Jesus is and what he is all about. This is before he ends up on the radar of the religious establishment, before he becomes a public figure, getting idea an idea of the origin of Jesus and the origin of his ministry. Uh, last week, we took a look at the way that the disciple John <clears throat> introduces us to this Jesus, to our Messiah. And so John has this task, John who was a disciple of Jesus, has this task of introducing Jesus to his readers. And so John chapter 1 starts out with this, what really is a warning about who we're about to meet. We're about to meet this Jesus, we're about to meet this Messiah, and John warns us that you are about to meet somebody who is filled with both grace and truth, with both grace and and truth. We talked about this so much last week that Jesus is filled with both grace and truth. If you missed last week's message, if you missed part one, I am asking you to please go back and listen to that, go back and watch that. You can listen as a podcast, you can watch the video. But this is so important to understanding who Jesus is and what he is all about. Jesus is filled with both grace and and truth, truth, there is such a thing as right and wrong. Truth, there is such a thing as sin. Truth, there is such a thing as wisdom and foolishness. There is such a thing as boundaries that God gives us, and he gives us those boundaries for our own sake, for our own protection, because he loves us. That is truth. Grace, grace is compassion. Grace is, I understand. Grace is not being offended by someone else's sin. And here is Jesus. He is filled with both truth and grace. These concepts, these are, these are absolutely compatible. Some people think, well, truth and grace are not compatible. That's not true. In fact, they are codependent. You need both grace and truth because grace plus truth equals love. If you're really going to love somebody, you need both truth and grace. And you need to go all in on truth and all in on grace. And so it's so important that we understand this concept as we begin to meet Jesus in the pages of Scripture. Not only that, but for those of us who are Christians, those of us who are followers of Jesus, this concept is key because we are called to be like Christ and we are called to be filled with both truth and grace, to have that courage to be filled with both truth and grace. And not only that, but we specifically as a church, Hope Community Church, we are a grace and truth church. That's what we're all about, and we're not the only one. There are plenty of grace and truth churches out there, but we're one of them, and so it's really key for us to understand this. If we're going to understand Jesus, if we're going to understand what it means to be a Christian, if we're going to understand what it means to be a part of Hope Community Church, we need to get a lock on this grace and truth thing. We are filled. We are to be filled with both grace and truth. And so that was last week. We looked at how John prepared us to, to meet Jesus. And so this week, we're going to take a look at how Jesus introduces himself to the world, how he introduces himself to us, which if you think about it, is a pretty big thing. <laughs> now here is Jesus. He is sent by Father God into this world. He is one with the Father. He is the Son of God. He is this Messiah, this Savior. He's sent into the world. And there were expectations. People wanted their Messiah to be about a certain thing or, or something or this or that or something else. I mean, a lot of people wanted their Messiah 
to be a kind of religious figure, someone who would, would uh, correct all the wrongs that were happening in their religious system, to correct the wrongs that were happening with the temple corruption, because Rome had influence over the temple, Rome had influence over their worship, and some people wanted their Messiah to be all about fixing that problem. We're going to solve this problem. Other people, more people, wanted their Messiah to be some kind of a political king to come in there and raise up an army like in the good old days of King David and overthrow the Romans and make Israel the superpower of the world once again. Some people wanted that from their Messiah. And so here comes God's Messiah. Here comes Jesus. And he's not about either of those things, is he? (laughs) He has a much bigger mission than that. He comes into this world to save not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well, to save humankind from sin and death. And so he comes to bring us something much bigger than anybody was expecting, but also in this process he is going to fail to live up to these expectations that other people had on him. And so how how does he begin? Let me ask you, if, if you were the Messiah, and you're not, but if you were the Messiah, how would you begin? How would you introduce yourself to the world? Would you call a meeting at your local synagogue? Hey, I just want to let you guys know I'm the Messiah. I'm here to save the world from sin and death. And so just, just want to let you know. Like how, how, do you, how do you begin? How do you introduce yourself to the world? I mean, this, look at your faces. You have no idea. We can't relate to this because we're not the Messiah. We don't know what that's like. We have no idea. But we do know what it's like to want to make a good first impression, right? You know what it's like to introduce yourself to someone and you want to make a positive first, what do they say that you don't get a second chance to make a good first impression, right? Something like that. Is that the saying? You don't get a second chance to make a good first impression, right? You go on that job interview. Do you remember those days? Some of you are doing that right now. You go on that job interview. You want to put your best foot forward because you want to give people a good idea of who you are and what you're about, right? I remember going through that process years and years ago. I had this one job interview that started with a phone interview, and if you did well with the phone interview, they're going to bring you in in person. So it's like, okay, the pressure's on. I want to be my best self, right? You know what I mean? Give them a positive idea of who I am and what I'm all about. And so I did all the things they tell you to do. You know these tips they tell you for phone interviews? You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to get dressed up as if you were going there in person. So I'm in my living room by myself all dressed up. You're supposed to stand up too. They say to stand up. Stand up and smile while you're on the phone. And so I'm by myself, all dressed up in my living room, smiling on the phone, looking like an idiot, because I want to make a good first impression. I want them to think positively about me. Have you been in situations like this? Like, this is it. This is it. You got know, to fight that anxiety. I want, I want them to get an idea of who I am and what I'm about. I remember that some of you are in that dating stage of life. Oh, how about that? Time to meet your significant other's family, and you want to make a good impression, because this is your first impression. This is your introduction to other people. So how does Jesus, how does he do this? What's the first impression he gives to humankind about who he is and what he's all about? That's what we're taking a look at today is how Jesus introduces himself to the world. Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus was 30 years old when he begins his public ministry. And so Jesus had some time It wasn't like he turned 13, okay, you're a man now, or 18, or whatever, and okay, go do it. No, he had time. He had time. He had prep time for all this. And so as we see in the Gospel of Matthew and the biography that Matthew writes of Jesus, we see that he has this time, and he has this experience, and Father God orchestrated this whole event of how Jesus would reveal himself, how the Messiah would reveal himself to the world. And so God, before Jesus goes and begins his public ministry, God sends an opening act, God sends a man named John. John, often referred to as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. 
And so God orchestrates events in such a way that Jesus, who is going to have an opening act, come and prepare the people for what they're about to receive in their Messiah. And so I'm taking a look at Matthew, just a few verses, just a couple verses in your bulletin there. But if you'd like to follow along, I'm going to start with um, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. If you have a Bible with you on your phone or, or, or hard copy, you can take a look at that if so desire. So we're in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist, remember this is before Jesus begins his public ministry. John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I love the way that Mark's gospel puts it. Mark is so succinct. Mark is the shortest biography of the life of Jesus. And Mark says that John comes preaching repentance, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's that simple. It's that direct. One statement, Mark sums it all up for us. He's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That sounds like a bunch of Bible words all crammed in one sentence, doesn't it? A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But it was such a key and such a simple and such an important thing that John came preaching. He's like, if you want to be forgiven, what's required is repentance. You got to remember, he's speaking to a Jewish community, to the Israelite community, and they had been taught to go before an altar and present their sacrificial lamb at that altar and to sacrifice and say, we're sorry for what we did and receive repentance that way. And John comes saying, listen, if you want to be forgiven by God, you need to repent. It's not about lip service. It's about a genuine desire to change. You need to stop doing the bad stuff. It's not just some empty ritual. That's not what God cares about. If you want to be forgiven, you have to repent. And built into that word repent, it's so much bigger than just saying, I'm sorry. Saying, I don't want to be this. And it's a change. Repent is to change. I don't want to do this kind of thing anymore. But bigger than that, I don't want to be this kind of person anymore. I want to change. And so here comes John preaching this message of repentance. Repentance is what's required in order to be forgiven. You need to desire to change. It's got to be more than just lip service. And Jesus, when he comes, he preaches that same message of what God cares about and what God values. It's your heart. You can't keep doing the wrong thing and just offering your sacrifices and say, well, I guess it's okay. No, we need to change desire. That change. And so here comes John, and he's preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come. And this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord makes straight paths for him. And so this was a concept in their culture, this idea of somebody important, some kind of king, some kind of royalty would be coming to your town, and ahead of that royalty, they'd send people to kind of clear the path, make sure there are no bumps on the road, clear the path. And so that's John the Baptist making way for Jesus. John's clothes, verse 4, were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey, Delish, right? People went out from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. And so Matthew's telling us that this guy drew quite a crowd. It is believed, we can't confirm this for a fact, but it is believed that John was a part of this group called the Essenes. And this was a group of people, and they left the temple worship system. They left their kind of religious practices in order to go seek out God in the wilderness they identified that Rome had corrupted their temple worship, and so they took their law, they took God with them out into the wilderness to really seek after God's will. And so here is this man, John, and we know the Essenes, they lived out in these caves, and they lived off the land, they lived off locusts and wild honey, so we think that John was one of these guys. And John truly was a prophet, a prophet of God, there to prepare the way for the Messiah. 
But when many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? So he calls them out. And so apparently John, he's attracting some attention of people from the religious establishment, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, these people who made up the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. They came out to see, what are you doing, John? What are you all about? He says, what are you guys even doing here? Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Verse 8, this is key. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. This is John the Baptist. This is his message. He's preparing us for Jesus, and Jesus is going to continue on with this theme, the theme of fruit. We're going to see this throughout this year. Produce fruit. What are you doing? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The fruit of your life. What are you accomplishing? Let me see what you're doing with with your life. Verse 9, And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. So as I listen, your bloodline is not what God values. You need to repent. Let's see the fruit of your repentance. Well, Abraham's our father. Big whoop. What are you doing with your life? Are you living the way God has commanded? Are you bearing the fruit of repentance? Verse 10, this is a warning. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit, there's that word again, will be cut down and thrown to the fire. We're going to see Jesus echo these same words. There was suspicion about John the Baptist. Who is this guy? Look at this this crowd that's coming out to him. Do you think, do you think it's him? Is this the Messiah? I mean, look at the people coming out and listen to his message of repentance for the forgiveness. This just makes sense. They came out to John. And it says they were they were confessing. They were confessing their sins to John. This was like, this was a big deal. People coming out and not just kind of like Santa Clara. No, they were confessing what they were doing wrong. And so there was suspicion that maybe John was the Messiah. But he clarified that. He said, I'm baptizing you with water for repentance. This is just water. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so there's some debate over what's meant by the Holy Spirit and fire. Some people think, that, well, that's one and the same. I think he's saying there's two separate things that this Messiah is going to baptize you with. Either the Holy Spirit or with the fire of judgment. Wow! This is a warning. The one who comes after me, I'm preparing the way for him, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit or with fire. Yikes. His winnowing fork is in hand. Do you know what a winnowing fork is? Probably. Does anybody have a winnowing fork in their shed? Probably not. It's kind of like a pitchfork. You kind of take the, uh, you take the wheat and you, you kind of sift through it. I don't know. I'm not a farmer. You sift through it, and like the grain, the edible part lands, and then the part that you don't eat just kind of flies away. His winnowing fork is already at hand. This idea of a separation that's going to occur. Again, Jesus echoes this same message about a separation that will occur. There will be those who will be saved. They will receive salvation. And then there are others who will not. <clears throat> His winnowing fork... It's already at hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering the wheat into the barn and burning up the rest with this unquenchable fire. Yikes. Here's what we know about John the Baptist. John's mother, Elizabeth, and Jesus' mother, Mary, those two were related. We're not exactly sure how. Some people say, oh, they're cousins. I don't know. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John, they were related somehow, which means that John and Jesus were related somehow. Did they know each other growing up as kids? Maybe. 
Did they travel to Jerusalem together to celebrate the Passover? You know, so a lot of times that's what happened back in those days, that families would gather to make that trip together. Did they know each other as kids? It's possible, but here's what we know. If they did know each other as kids, John didn't recognize that his cousin Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't recognize that his second cousin, twice removed, or whatever he was, was the Messiah. So they may have known each other growing up, but he did not know that Jesus was the Messiah that he was preparing people to receive the baptism of Jesus. And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. This is how the Messiah, this is how Jesus introduces himself to the world, to his community and to the world at large. He does not go to his local synagogue to say, hey, I'm the Messiah. He does not go to the Sanhedrin and say, well, I want you to put me to the test because I'm the Messiah of God. He doesn't do that. Instead, he goes down out into the wilderness. He goes down to the river to be baptized by John. And how many people were out there? I mean, Matthew exaggerates. Everybody, the whole countryside was coming out to hear John and to be baptized by him. So there he is. And so we imagine this scene, which is kind of dangerous because you don't want to fill in the gaps. You don't want to stray from what Scripture says, of course, of course. But I imagine this scene, and there's John, and I imagine he's out there early in the morning, and he gives his message. He gives some kind of powerful sermon. He talks about repentance, and he talks about the heart of God, and then people line up to be baptized by him. And they confess. It tells us they confess their It's not just like a quiet thing. Oh, I'm kind of just going to sit in my seat. And like, mm. No, it's a big old thing where they come up and they confess their sins, and then they're dunked in that water, they're washed and made new, and then they go on their way. You know, John did not invent baptism. It preceded John. In fact, in the Jewish culture, if there was someone who was converting to Judaism, they would go through this washing ceremony. And so John kind of hijacked, he took this whole concept of a ceremonial washing, and he made it about repentance. And so people would gather in that line to repent and confess their sins. Now, what do you think the passers-by thought about the people in that line? Ooh, look who's standing over in the line. Do you see him standing in the line over there? I wonder what he did. I wonder what she did. Because there they're going. If they're standing in that line, they're guilty of something. They're going to go confess. Okay. I wonder what he's up to. I wonder what she needs to confess. I thought they were decent people. I thought so too. Well, I don't know. They're in that line. They're going to be baptized. What's going on here? These people had to go public. They were going public with their imperfection, going public with their sin, going public with their need to repent. What would you think about the people standing in that line? There's an author named John White. He wrote a book called Excellence in Leadership, and he tells the story about um, studying to be a doctor. And... Uh, the kids are back in children's church, right? Okay. So he's studying to be a doctor, and he missed a practical course on venereal disease. Okay? So he missed a course on venereal disease, and he had to go down to the clinic at a time where students would not normally go to the clinic that took care of those kind of diseases. And so he goes to the clinic, and there is a long line of, we'll call them gentlemen, waiting to see the doctor to receive their medicine to treat their specific brand of disease, Right? And so John White, he kind of skips that line. He goes to the front and says, hey, I'm a medical student. The nurse says, listen, I don't care who you are. You got it the same way as everybody else, back of the line. I know, right? And he's, he's like horrified. I'm not going to wait in the back of the line. And so he pleads. He makes his case because just the thought of, wait, what if somebody sees me standing in the line with these people? 
I'm not doing that. And it was brought to mind what Jesus does. What does Jesus do? He walks up to John, and he sees this line of sinners. And he gets right in it with them. <laughs> this is how Jesus introduces himself to us. Not at the local synagogue, not at the temple, but he stands in the line with sinners, and he waits his turn. The next person goes, and he waits his turn. The next person goes, it's almost his turn. And he makes his way to the front of that line, and God reveals to John that this is it. This is him. This is the Messiah that we have been waiting for, that you have been waiting for. Verse 13, Jesus came to Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus, this makes no sense. You're the Messiah. This makes no sense. You are sinless. Do you understand what this line is about? It's people confessing their sins. It's people who need to repent. You don't need to repent. I need to be baptized by you. What are you doing here? That's a question, by the way, that doesn't quite get answered, okay? What are you doing here? It's a wonderful, strange thing, because here's what we see towards the, the end. Right before the cross, Jesus, at the Last Supper, he, he strips down to a towel, and he washes his disciples' feet. And when that happens, Peter, one of the disciples, says, no, you can't do this. This is inappropriate. And so it's like, yeah, it is inappropriate. And so here's John saying, no, I need to be washed by you. And later we'll see Peter saying, no, it's not right for you to wash me. And so there's, there's something to this. This is not what we expected to see happen. John says, I shouldn't be, I should not be, you should be baptizing me. I shouldn't be baptizing you, you should be baptizing me. He's not wrong. And the Messiah, Jesus, says, just do it anyway. Just do it anyway. He says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. This is righteousness. This is the right way. This is the right thing to do at this time. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. And he, being John, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this, not just this is the Messiah, it says, this is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Now, this is before he's done anything. With him, I'm already pleased. This is my Son, I love him. With him, I am well pleased. Now, there's some debate. Was it just John who heard this voice? Was it the whole crowd who heard this voice? It was at least John. It was at least John. So here is our Savior. Here is our Messiah introducing himself to us, standing in line with the sinners. What do we say about Jesus? What does John, the disciple, tell us? That he's filled with both grace and truth. This is what grace looks like to stand among the sinners, to stand in line with people like us who need to repent. This is what grace looks like. Let me ask you a question. Are you, are you struggling to express grace to someone in your life right now? Someone who is far from God, someone who has no desire to live within God's boundaries. Are you struggling? Maybe you've got a loved one, a family member, a coworker. Are you struggling 
to communicate grace, to be gracious to someone right now. I mean, as we talked about last week and as we see here this week, Jesus, he's not afraid to express grace. Is there someone who has hurt you? Maybe it's a personal thing and you're just having a tough time forgiving, you're having a tough time letting it go, and you're having a tough time not giving into that whole self-righteous thing that sometimes we do. I don't want to be seen with those people. I don't want to be seen with that person. Are you struggling? Are you struggling to, to express grace? Are you afraid to express grace to someone who needs it right now? Just know that Jesus will be with you in your expressing of grace to someone who's far from him. Okay, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not, maybe you're not struggling to express grace to someone. Let me ask you a different question, okay? This is a big one. This is a tough one. Do you need to repent? Do you, do you need to repent? Jesus stood in that line with people who needed to repent. He didn't, but he stood there with them. And he went before John. He had no sins to confess, but he was baptized anyway. Well, what about you? Do you need to repent? I'm not talking about just some like saying you're sorry. I'm talking about do you need a change in your life? Have you found yourself engaging in some kind of some kind of pattern, some kind of pattern of behavior, and you know it's not right, and you know you're hurting yourself, but you're trying just to ignore that truth. And those of you who are Christians, maybe you're doing something, you're engaged in some kind of behavior, and you know, you know it's outside of God's boundaries. You know it's not God's ideal. You know it's sin. But you're just trying to turn a blind eye to that truth. I don't want to deal with that truth. I tell you what, one of the things that's made this pandemic situation so difficult, people not seeing each other, and this whole topic, this whole concept of accountability has gone out the window, right? Well, I don't have to see my Christian friends. I don't have to be around them, so I'm going to do whatever I want, and they're not going to get into any of my business, and I can just keep on doing whatever I want to do. Do you need to repent? Do you, do you want to change? Do you want to break free from this behavior that is enslaving you? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you for a moment. There's something going on, a pattern of behavior. and You know it's wrong, and you know it's hurting you, and you know it's hurting the people that you love. Do you want to change? Is there some kind of bitterness you need, to let, you need to let go of? Is there forgiveness that you need to engage in? Is there something going on? Do you need to repent? Do you desire that change? If so, here's what you need to know. That our Jesus, our Savior, he's the one that stands in line with us. He walks with us on our way to confess he stands with us as we confess our sins. Our God, the God that we worship and serve, is not the God that stands back with folded arms. Come on, confess your sins. Come on, repent. Come on, let's hear this. This ought to be good. No, 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 no. He's the God that journeys with us through our repentance. This is the God that we believe in, worship, and serve. The God that dwells among people like us the imperfect, the sinners, <laughs> those that desire to repent. This is how Jesus introduces himself to us. We believe in this Jesus, the Jesus that loves us enough to be born into this broken world, the Jesus that loves us enough that he's not afraid to be seen with people like us. He will stand in that line with us, and this is the Jesus 
that we need to introduce to other people in our lives. This is why we are here as a church, is to introduce other people to this Jesus who is filled with both grace and truth. Let's pray on that. Father God, it's, it's easy for those of us who are Christians to, to acknowledge that we're imperfect. It's easy for us to just have this, this, this cheap humility where we acknowledge we've got room to grow and there's things we need to change. It's easy to make it general, but we just pray, God, that if there are specific changes we need to make in our lives, that you would bring those changes to our attention. If we're outside of your boundaries, if we're straying, if we're sinning, just give us the desire to return back to you. Father God, we acknowledge that you love us, and the reason that you give us boundaries is because you love us, and so help us, God. Cultivate that desire within our hearts to live, to to freely live within those boundaries. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for being the God that's willing to associate with us, the God that loves us, the God that will carry us through that repentance process. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.